the series that we've been working through since Easter, that Jesus' death and resurrection, this changes everything. And if you remember a few weeks ago, two weeks ago actually, we talked some about how Jesus heals us, how his death and resurrection even changes our healing, and how he heals our soul, and how that affects us, heart, mind, and strength. How the healing radiates out. It works out from our spiritual healing to heal us emotionally, mentally, and physically. This week we're going to be talking some about how uh, Jesus' death and resurrection changes everything, including suffering. Jesus was betrayed, tortured, crucified. He died and then rose again. And he forever changed pain and loss. Through his going through all of that and then rising again on the other side, he changed it forever for all of us. I've been thinking about this week and all sorts of different images came to mind, but one of them was the garbage picker. That God picks through the garbage of our life and redeems it. The things that are broken, the things that broke us, the things that we feel like we should just throw away, God picks through it and redeems it. And he restores us in the midst of it. When I was thinking about this passage, when I was thinking about this sermon, actually, I was thinking I wasn't sure where to put it. I wasn't even sure if I was going to preach this particular sermon, this passage. And then last week, Colleen Nanichuk, who's a part of our church, and she's going to the mission field in a couple, actually, about two months or a month and a half. Her husband, Max, died last fall, uh, for those of you who don't know Colleen. And she spoke last week and talked about how God had been faithful to her and how she continues to follow him in amazing ways still. And it was last week that I realized this is the week to speak about how God takes our suffering, takes our pain and our loss, and restores it. How he redeems us through it. That God is amazing. <laughs> that God is a garbage picker. So the thing is, I'm myself plagued by pain and loss. And I look back at the suffering in my life, and there's still things that I try to make sense out of. And I struggle, even years after, let alone when I'm in the middle of the hard stuff, the heartbreaking stuff. But that said, there are also things I can look back in my life. I can look back at some of the difficult things, the horrible things that have happened to me. The death of my dad, having gone through divorce, Tracy having cancer, um, all of these things, I can see how God is redeeming me. I could look back and see how God was even redeeming me, redeeming me in the midst of it. And I certainly see how God has been redeeming me since, the way he's been working on me and in me since then. And as this week, and actually for the last while, I've been seeing suffering differently. But this week especially, Peter has helped me to see suffering in light of Jesus' death and his resurrection, in light of the cross. Now, that's not to say that I still don't get discouraged or disoriented and still struggle to make sense of it at times. And it's true that garbage continues to pile up <laughs> in our lives. And sometimes I think, you know, I realize I have these expectations, these expectations that life is just always going to work out okay, like it does in TV or like most people talk about. 
I just have this assumption that everything is going to be fine. My life is always going to be clean. There's not going to be any garbage building up. That I'm just going to live and everything is going to go well. The trouble is that I'm surprised then when things go wrong. I'm surprised when the bottom falls out. Surprised when I when I have pain or loss. But I've been thinking some more about it this week that pain and suffering, they are part of life. They are an inevitable part of life. And rather than be surprised by it, I'm wondering if maybe we shouldn't expect it. Be ready for it. Most of you know what I'm talking about. I see the struggles in your lives too. I see as we have conversations that we've talked over the years, and many of you have the same questions I do. You two have uh, gone through things that are hard to make sense of. And you wonder, what do I do with this? How am I supposed to live in light of this? I know that you also deal with loss and pain. The thing I think that our culture makes it harder. Our culture around us has suckered us into thinking that pain and loss are anomalies. They're surprising and unexpected things that shouldn't really happen. I mean, just death, for example. I was talking a few weeks ago about the average lifespan in the 1850s was 40. And now it's over 80. Just how much death has been pushed to the end of life. How much further back it's been pushed. You know, people, death was a much bigger part of life. Even a couple generations ago. Mothers would die in childbirth. Young men would die in farm accidents. I think about now my job is writing sermons, sitting in the office. Not too many risks there. <laughs> but death is different these days. And we can begin to think that it just it's it's never going to happen to us. And I look around in the culture around us, like most people live like they're just gonna live indefinitely. Everybody kind of lives like not that they're going to, like, like as a Christian idea of die and then rise again. No, they just think like they're never going to die. It's never going to come to them. They're just going to go on forever. And then death comes, and they're knocked off their feet. Not only that, but I mean, I think about, like, where we live. I can't even think the last terrorist attack that we've had in Balfour. And it's been a long time since a war has been fought here. The only time we have to leave our homes is when we sell it and move somewhere else. No one's destroyed it or bombed it. Our kids aren't gassed. It's amazing where we live. I think about Christians, brothers and sisters who live in other parts of the world where every day is a struggle. You see, when we don't have that, we can lose our ability. We lose our ability to struggle well. Pain and loss become almost theoretical things that never really touch down into life, except for when they do. And then when they do, it knocks us off our feet. 
It knocks the wind out of us. The thing is, pain and loss always come. They always circle back around to us. They always do. And the thing is, we try all these different ways to deal with it. I was thinking about pain and loss like a garbage can. Imagine my garbage can here. And as we live life, this garbage can fills up with the stuff, with pain and loss. And some of us take that garbage can and we try and tuck it away back into a corner in a closet and we shut the door and we lock it and we hope we never have to open it again. We try to seal off pain and loss, denial, whatever it takes. The way that works out is if it's a person, if it's a person in your life, then and they've hurt you or caused you pain, you cut them off. You avoid them. You don't talk to them anymore. You don't even acknowledge they exist anymore. If it's an event, we do everything we can to try and forget it, try and move past it, do everything we can to not think about it. Try to lock the door to this closet where we've put our garbage. We try and lock the door and move on the best that we can. And it's true, there's times when we get temporary relief. It works out for a bit. Until it doesn't. Trouble is, garbage is garbage. When you put it away, it continues to be garbage. It still rots. It still stinks. thing is, pain doesn't play nice. And the harder we try to shove it down and forget it, the more it seeps out the cracks. And we think, oh, I've taken care of the garbage. I've locked it away in a closet. Then over time, the smell starts coming out and the whole house stinks. We try to lock it away. I see that a lot. I see that in me. That's one extreme. The other extreme is when we carry the garbage around with us. So rather than keep our garbage in a, in a closet, we, we carry it around with us all the time in our hands. And every time someone asks how we're doing, we set the garbage down and say, look at all the garbage that's happening. Do you want to go through it with me? It's like rather than putting the garbage in a, in a closet in the back room, we bring it out and set it in the front room. And the garbage begins to define us. Someone asks us how we're doing, and we just turn around and say, look at all the garbage. This is how I'm doing and we go around and around the same garbage. And sometimes people can feel good because people will say they'll be compassionate with us. They'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. And even that begins to get a, a bit addicting. And it just continues to help us. It keeps us stuck with the garbage. So, some of us go to the one extreme. We put it in the closet. Some of us, we carry it around with us. Some of us, it's not we try to find a place in the house for it. We just try to get out of the house to use that analogy. Whatever it takes, drugs, alcohol, sex, work, anything we can do to numb the pain, anything we can do to avoid it. These are just some of the common ways I see people in our community, even people in our church, even me at times, deal with the pain and loss we face. The real question is, what do we do with it? 
What do we do with this garbage that fills up in our lives? Do we just keep our head down and hope we make it till we die? Is that our option? Does Jesus' cross and resurrection, does it have any effect on our pain and loss? Is there any hope here? Can Jesus help us as we deal with our suffering? Thankfully, this is, we are not the first people who have asked this question. We are not the first people who have had to deal with pain and loss. In fact, our brothers and sisters have been dealing with pain and loss for centuries. And even this morning, we're going to see in God's word, the pain and loss was nothing new to the church, especially the early church. But Jesus is not trying to help us find a way around our suffering, but rather help us find a way through our suffering. That it's through the suffering that we are restored, that he redeems us. So if you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 to 11. <clears throat> if you want to, it's also in the bulletin here. And it's just a note, too. If, you, uh, if you're visiting this morning, uh, the sermon is our, the, the passage is on the left. There's lots of room to take notes. There's questions on the back for you to, to help you think about some more about it this week. But let's read uh, the Word of God together. So if you would, read this with me. Well, actually, let me, let me first just say this. Uh, this first Peter uh, is written by Peter, the disciple of Jesus. So, uh, for those of you who maybe know him, this is the same Peter who denied Jesus when Jesus was arrested. And then Jesus, after he rose again, he restored Peter. He said, three times he said, Peter, do you love me? And then he said, feed my sheep. So the guy who wrote this letter, one, walked with Jesus, was taught by Jesus, and has firsthand experience of failing and being restored by Jesus. So that's the author. So that's That's Peter. So Peter writes this letter, but he also wrote this letter to churches in Asia Minor, which is today modern Turkey. He wrote to the Christians there. And this letter is amazing stuff, but it's essentially a long letter. Well, not long. Essentially one long way of, of helping us know how to follow Jesus in light of persecution. It's five chapters of him saying, here's how you follow Jesus when the world around you makes life difficult. Now he's speaking specifically of persecution, but it has application to all kinds of suffering. So, uh, read this with me. It says, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty right hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> if you would pray with me that we would hear God's word this morning. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the word that you spoke through Peter, your disciple. We pray that you'd help us uh, to hear it this morning.
pray for your help in this, Lord Jesus. Amen. So when it comes to pain and loss, <clears throat> Peter gives us words to live by. Words that change everything. He leads off with this command. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty right hand. And this is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Humble yourselves under God's hand. And I was reading that, and I was thinking at first that this is saying that God is the one who's doing, like he's somehow pushing us down. But it's humble ourselves. <laughs> I'll just keep going. So, humble ourselves <clears throat> under God's hand, almost like a protection, that it protects us. Man, that's a long ring, John. <laughs> you know what? I love these moments. I love these moments because for those of you who are visiting, you see that this is real for us. This is not a performance that we put on. These are... What's that? It's family. Absolutely. It's family. <laughs> He will, there'll be a long time before he forgets this sermon, right? Thanks, John. Thanks for that point. Yeah. So, Peter speaks this command. And he says, God's hand is over you. And it's interesting because it says, humble yourselves, which I totally get why they say that. And that's a great English translation. I looked through numerous translations and it was said, humble yourselves. And what I realized is in the ancient world, uh, it's not humble yourselves as so much as you do it yourself, but it's more, if I could put those words to it, would be, it's a command to be humbled. Or maybe to say it in like my way, it would be to stay low. See, when you go through pain and suffering, it brings you down. It, it humbles you. And when it does, stay low. I can think of the times when I've gone through difficult things, and after a while, I started thinking I had it figured out again. And each time, pain and suffering, they bring, me, they bring me down, they humble me. And so I hear Peter saying, when you're humbled, stay low. Not wallow in, not be held down, but stay humbled. Stay low. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, in our God's mighty right hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, for those of you who maybe study a little bit of Greek, there's two words for, for time. There's chronos, which is the time you keep on your watch. And then there's kairos time. Kairos time is what we'd say appointed time, the fulfillment of time, just the right time. So Peter's saying, when you humble yourselves under God's hand, he will lift you. Do it, and he will lift you up at just the right time. So stay low, and God will exalt you when it's just right. And then he drops this truth bomb. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. For those of you who are in the midst of struggling with pain or loss or suffering, this is the best news you'll hear all day. This is the best news you'll hear all week. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. <laughs> in the 
I was studying this. I was looking at all these different ways of saying cast. Because it sounds so fancy. Pile it up. Heap it on God. All of your cares, all of your fears, all of your anxieties, throw it on top of the pile. God can handle it. And he will handle it because he cares for you. I feel as I say as I as, as I say that he cares for you that it's hard to even get it fully what that means because we all think to ourselves yeah I know I know God cares for me no he really cares for you so much so that he would send his own son to die that we might have life with him I can't even get at words to say how deeply God cares for us and he says this he says Cast all your anxiety on him. And I was interested, I was surprised the, the way this is worded. Because in English, it kind of comes across like two sentences. But actually in Greek, it's all one giant sentence, which is understandable why they translate it as two. But it's actually cast, actually cast is casting. Casting is a participle, and you don't need to worry about that. But casting actually modifies how we humble ourselves, how we stay low. It says, humble yourselves, casting all your anxieties on him. That's part of how you do it. See, the thing is, when we suffer, we have a tendency to keep all of our anxieties bottled up. At least I do right about here. I get that knot in my stomach. And we worry, and we fear, and we fret. And Peter's saying, pile that all on God. Pile that on him. But it's hard because we feel like when we're fretting, it feels like it's ours, like we are still in control, even though we aren't. And so this is part of how we stay low, is we cast our fears on God and we rely on Him entirely. Give our fear and anxiety to Him. So this is the first part. This first command is to stay low and rely on God. Rely on him. Thankfully, Peter keeps going, though. He doesn't stop there. Verse 8, he says, Be self-controlled. Be alert. Now, (laughs) if you ask me, be self-controlled, like I get what they're saying, but that's sort of like the churchy version. (laughs) Actually, in Greek, it's sober up. Like the opposite of drunkenness. Get sober. Stay alert. Yeah, (laughs) hallelujah, right. This is another command. It's not food for thought, it's a command. Sober up. Sober up and stay alert. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, a few things first. For those of you um, who are maybe new to faith or have questions about faith, you see the word devil and you think, oh, brother. You know, we live in a time where ghosts and goblins and little red men with pitchforks, you know, we don't believe in that stuff. I don't either. But I do believe in a devil. The real devil. Satan, the accuser, who was a part of God's court. He was like the prosecuting attorney of God's court. And because of his pride, he was cast down. And since then, he has been trying to undo to destroy God's beloved creation. I don't believe in a little red man with a pitchfork either. 
But I do believe in Satan. That he is real. This passage reminds me that our sin, it's not just the things that are going wrong in our lives are not just the result of our sin or our brokenness, that there are actually principalities and powers that work against us actively, that work through nations, corporations, political leaders to bring evil on earth, to bring destruction on earth, on God's creation. So when Peter says, sober up and stay alert, I hear it as a command for good purpose, for good reason. Then he says this. He says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, when I first read this and started hearing it, I was thinking like, right, because we have, there are people in the world around us who are going through things so much more difficult. People who have had their family killed in front of them, their mothers and their sisters raped, who've had their village burned, who've been thrown in prison for even uttering the name of Jesus. We have brothers and sisters who are going through suffering, and we draw strength from them. We see their suffering and how faithful they are. Like Melody talking about Corey Tenboom about Corey's faith and how that encourages us. So that's how I read it at first. But then as I started reflecting on it more, I realized too that not only do we draw strength from them, but they also rely on us. This idea that our faith is private and it's just personal for us is a lie. When we become a Christian, our faith becomes corporate. Constantly throughout the letters, Paul, Peter, John, they are constantly saying that your faith affects your brothers and sisters around you. Not only that, it affects the church. I mean, we feel this. We've experienced this. How many of you have ever experienced the derision of someone when they find out you're a Christian and you realize that they think so badly of you because they've heard about the pastor who just recently had an affair? the famous pastor who's written all the books and done all the stuff and turns out he's been having affairs for years. Or, when people make judgments about us as Christians, because a long time ago, or even just recently, they had a business dealing with a person who claimed to be a Christian who cheated them. And they say, oh, you're a Christian. They're another one of those hypocrites. How we get painted with that brush too. When we don't resist Satan, it affects the whole church. Sin is never personal. It affects everyone. It always brings down someone. It brings down our church. When it comes to suffering well, Peter gives us two commands. He has amazing advice for us. The first one is rely on him. Stay low and rely on God. Next one is resist. Resist Satan. Now, if you are going through difficult things in your life, if you are struggling with pain or loss or suffering, and you came this morning and this is all you heard, you might be really encouraged or you might be throwing your hands up in the air saying, Jason, I'm just barely keeping my head above water. 
and I feel like all I have is more to do. Well, I want to encourage you. The best, save the best part for last. Because Peter, what he says now, this is the part where it gets really good. He said, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, so through Jesus' death and resurrection, and after you've suffered for a little while, he will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, I just want to say, it says, though you suffered for a little while, and I want to be careful here because I do not want to belittle or make light of the suffering that any of you have faced in your life. I don't want to make light of it. But the reality is, as followers of Jesus, anyone who follows Jesus, suffering is limited. It is temporary. It will end. For anyone who follows Jesus, suffering is not the last word. When you think about eternity, about eternity with Christ, where there is no mourning, there is no weeping, the suffering we face now, even as intense as it may be, it will end. And that's the thing. He says it will end, but also he says more than that. He says it will restore you, or he himself will restore you. Restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The words underneath here, one is make it will establish your faith. When you go through these difficult things, your faith will be stronger. Not only that, you will be stronger, your character. Having gone through difficult things, through pain and loss, you'll be better able to handle pain and loss again when it comes. And he says, too, you'll build a foundation to make you steadfast. For those of you who have experienced building, you know how important is the foundation. Going through pain and suffering builds to the foundation. It adds, it strengthens, strengthens, strengthens the foundation of your life. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he changed pain and loss. He changed suffering forever. No longer is pain and suffering the last word. Suffering is not the last word. Now, the last word is that you will be established. The last word is he will strengthen you. The last word is he will build your foundation. The last word is he will redeem the brokenness in your life. The last word is he will restore you. If we will rely on God, you will be restored. Do you see the ramifications of what has happened here? Because Jesus died and rose again, all of this becomes true. Regardless of the pain and loss we face, God will redeem it. He will restore us in it. He will restore us through it. So restored becomes the final thing. You hear these commands. One is to rely on him. Stay low and rely on him. The other is to sober up, stay alert, and resist Satan. <clears throat> this week, uh, this week has been more formative than others for me. 
It's helped me see that suffering is not a surprise, that I don't, it's undoing the expectation I had that life would always work out. That suffering, pain, loss, it's not a matter of if, but when. And I started asking myself, when it comes again, how will I handle it? Will I stay low and rely on God and cast all of my fears, pile them up on Him? Will I sober up? Will I stay alert and resist Satan? Not just for my sake, but for the sake of those around me, my brothers and sisters. But especially this week, I was realizing, or I have realized that the suffering, pain, loss, these are not the last word for us. The last word is, He will establish you in your faith. He will make your faith stronger. He will strengthen you in character. To, people where the, to the point where you do things that no one thought possible given what you had gone through. And he will build the foundation. He will make your base. He will make the foundation of your life stronger that you will be better able to stand. This is what God has been doing in me this week. And this is what I want for you, my church family. I want you to take these words and work them into your life. I want you to take this truth and grab a hold of it. Please resist the temptation to take what I'm saying and put it in your pocket as food for thought. I'm not preaching up here this morning to give you more information. I am asking for transformation. I want you to grab a hold of this truth and knead it into your life. Work it into the warp and woof of your life. Grab hold of this. This reality that we are to stay low, this command to stay low and to follow God, to rely on Him, this command to, to resist, the, resist the devil. But if you have one thing, if you're like me and you can only have one thing that I want you to focus on, it's to be this, it's to be restored. I want us to receive that truth. Regardless of what... <laughs> regardless of your, what has happened in your life, the, the things that have broken your heart, the pain that you have faced, the losses, the disappointments, the shame, regardless of what you have faced, to hear this truth, that God will establish you. He will make your faith stronger through the pain and through the loss. That God will strengthen you, strengthen who you are as a person. And he will build this foundation for you that will hold you, that will keep you strong throughout what comes next. Regardless of what life throws at you, you will be stable. But this is the last word, is that you will be restored. God will take the horrible things, the things that still break your heart. He will take them, and he is taking them and redeeming them. bringing good out of them, bringing beauty out of them. I wanted to close with this picture. I don't know if anybody remembers this picture, but this is a church that I visited in India. This church is built in a garbage dump made from garbage. 
So I started thinking about the title for this sermon is God the Garbage Picker. I remember when I got to this place, it was hot and dirty. And there's all these big uh, front loaders moving garbage around. And I got out and I thought to myself, this place is hell. And then, <laughs> I mean, this place is Gehenna, the Hebrew word for hell that originated from the word garbage dump. And then we walk through this little path, trees, and there's bottles, like old bottles of water and shoes and broken flip-flops and garbage everywhere. And we walk this little path to this packed-down dirt area, these little huts, and this church. And it's beautiful. It's made from garbage that had been picked. Picked and given a new purpose. Redeemed. Restored. And it's just a picture of what's going on in that dump. Of men and women who are realizing that when the rest of the world thinks that they are garbage, they have a God in, he- in heaven who calls them child, beloved son or daughter. That God is taking the hurt and the pain and the rejection and the suffering from their life and restoring them. This is what God is doing in us too. This is the truth. This morning I want you to grab onto this reality. If you hear anything, if you don't hear anything else, (laughs) I'm okay as long as you hear this. God will take the pain and suffering of your life and he will redeem it. He will establish you in faith. He will strengthen you. He will put you on a firm foundation. He will restore you. Amen.